0: So the past um, several weeks now, um, I have just been, I don't know the right word, I've been searching for that right word, but semi just preoccupied and caught up with the cares of the world. And yeah, and just wow, just feeling overburdened. Um, But finding hope and being able to praise God because He is coming soon. And the question is are you ready for Jesus to come? The plan of salvation assures us he's coming back again. Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you faithful in all? Have you fought the good fight? Have you stood for the right? Have others seen Jesus in you? Are you ready to stand in your place? Are you ready to look in his face, can you look up and say this is my Lord? Are you ready for Jesus to come? to this world Can you look up and say This is my Lord Are you ready for Jesus He's coming again Are you ready for Jesus this yes.
1: for Jesus to come. Amen. Uh, thank you, Clary. Um, hmm. Thank you, church. Amen. You know, uh, the reality is that that uh, in moments like this, especially when we're experiencing loss and we're faced with the fragility of life, we long for the coming of Jesus. Amen. And it's true, this world is not our home. We're just a traveling through. We're looking for that home way beyond the blue. And so, welcome to the house of God, but even better, let's welcome each other beyond those pearly gates someday. Amen. And again, uh, we just, uh, if you have a chance to reach out to Greg and to Donna and the family of Linda Spencer, um, just really want to encourage you to, to go ahead and be the arms and hands of Jesus To be the voice of Jesus, to be the ones to call them up, to bring dinners to them, whatever it would be, because these are times where we long for heaven, and there are times when our compass is just kind of thrown off kilter, and we need people around us to help us steady ourselves, so let's be the family of God to each other, okay? We're going to start a new sermon series today, and it'll kind of continue throughout the summer months. The sermon series is called Let Him Hear. It's based on the messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And that's where we're going to be kind of going through at a snail's pace starting today. And maybe you've studied the book of Revelation. Amen. We're just off of the the Revelation of Hope seminar. What a powerful experience that has been. And I tell you what, even though um, I have had plenty of opportunity to study the book of Revelation, there are times where I realize that there are are blind spots, so to speak. There are certain chapters that I just love to dig into, love to jump into, but then there are certain chapters that, wait, that's in the Bible? Yeah, (laughs) I don't have. have you had that experience? Yeah, and so sometimes we overlook, sometimes we overlook the messages to the seven churches, which are just in the first three chapters of Revelation. We look at those and we say, oh, those were for real people, real churches in that day. And we kind of wonder, well, I'm glad that they heard them. Let me get to chapter 12. (laughs) Anyways, and so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the first few chapters of Revelation. Because each of those messages, though they are addressed to specific groups, like the church in Ephesus, or the church in Smyrna, or Pergamum, or Thyatira, or whatever, Laodicea though they are addressed to specific groups of people with specific situations and real-life circumstances, at the end of each message, it says, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it wasn't just that Ephesus was to hear their thing and not listen in on what God was saying to Laodicea. In fact, all of the churches were to hear this word because it was what the Spirit was saying to the churches. And so, starting this morning, we're just going to introduce Revelation chapter one, and then beginning next week and thereafter, we'll go ahead and start picking apart each of those messages. Seven churches, vast and varying experiences, but God has a message for each and every one of us through them. you believe it? Well, then let him hear. And part one is let him hear blessed assurance. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Oh, Father, we thank you that we can gather in your house on your day, gathered around your word. And Lord, right now we pray for an extra outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We know that you have something in store for each and every one of us, myself included. And God, I long, I long to encounter living bread today. So please do whatever it takes to hide us in the shadow of the cross. Cast aside any burdens or distractions. Please, Jesus, we need you to speak to us and we want to be changed by your word. And so, we pray these things. In Jesus' saving name, let everyone say, Amen. 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 All right. So, if you have a pen and paper, uh, I encourage you to go ahead and start taking notes. If you need to put some things away, that's fine too. Revelation chapter 1, we're going there to the book of Revelation revelation chapter one it's the last book of the bible so if you've gotten to your back cover you've gone too far all right revelation chapter one and as we dig into this message i'll tell you what there is no possible way that we can pick apart every single detail and every last phrase and word although if we could it would take hours but we're not going to do that to you this morning amen all right we're just going to hit on some highlights and as we work through this chapter We're going to start off with two blessings, and then work through three assurances. Blessed assurance. So if you're there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, go ahead and say, amen. Amen. The revelation of beasts and dragons, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. No, all right, okay, that's not what my Bible says. I'm reading from the New King James, and it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, when we look through these symbols and when we look through these sometimes um, mysterious phrases, we must be sure that we are looking for a revelation of Jesus Christ. Are we agreed? Amen. So let's find blessing number one as we see this revelation. In verse 3, the Bible says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those sayings which are written in it, For the time is near. Blessing number one is a blessing for those who read, hear, and keep. Write it down. Read, hear, and keep. Nina, thank you so much for kind of emphasizing that in your your children's story. By the way, I saw some confused faces when you mentioned the detail about jail and bail. Okay. (laughs) Okay, Nina. (laughs) Uh, Long story short, they're raising money for multiple sclerosis, is that right? Okay, and so they were taken to jail at Tahoe Joe's, I believe, okay, (laughs) and um, their bail went to, to, to a good cause. Okay, so I'm glad you're here with us, and Miss Eva too, praise the Lord. All right, but the blessing is there. It's a blessing to those who hear, read, and keep. Friends, it is a good thing to hear the book of Revelation. It is an even better thing to read it, but you know what's best? is to keep it. Okay? The blessing is sure when we hear, read and keep it. Let's keep going and in verse 4 what we was read for our scripture reading. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Again, this is referring to a geographic area just kind of northwest of Palestine. So if you're looking, if you've got a big map in your mind, you've got the Mediterranean Sea right here. You've got Egypt on the south, okay? the continent of Africa, and then over here you've got Palestine, uh, Judea, etc. And as you work your way around the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and up this way towards Europe, you've got these areas called Asia Minor. And John was writing from an island just off the coast of Ephesus. That island was called Patmos. He's writing to the seven churches in Asia, and it says, "'Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was.'" And who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. If blessing number one is a blessing to those who hear, read, and keep, blessing number two is really a prayer for grace and peace. Blessing number two is a, is a blessing of grace and peace. This is actually a combination, it's a very common way of uh, beginning letters back in that time. They would start with addressing themselves rather than putting their name at the very bottom. Said, okay, I'm John and I'm writing to you and I wish for you first and foremost grace and peace. Grace is a Greek concept. It's It's a concept of divine favor being extended to someone. And so John is praying that, that the churches that he's writing to would experience the grace of Jesus and also the peace of Jesus. Peace is a Hebrew concept that really comes from the sense of things being brought together, things that are complete and whole, W-H-O-L-E, nothing missing, nothing lagging. And so this is a blessing of grace and peace. Why would they need this blessing of grace and peace? These churches in Asia, what were they going through that they would need grace and peace? Well, we, if we understand the historical setting, the churches in, in this time, nearing the first century A.D., they were beginning to experience some heat. Not just summer heat that we're familiar with here in the Central Valley, but they were beginning to experience the heat of political persecution. The Roman emperor, Domitian, at that time, he was beginning to, to turn the fire on, so to speak, and Christians did not have a comfortable place to be. To be a Christian, that's why Paul said all who live godly must suffer persecution. He was just just kind of casting the reality, look, the world is against us. When you're following Jesus, there is an enemy who wants to take you out. And these churches in Asia Minor were experiencing just that. And so Paul, excuse me, John is writing, grace to you, peace. And where is that grace and peace found? What assurances are there? It's found in who God is. And first, It says, grace to you and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come. And that's code language for the eternal God. Amen? Amen. The one who is, who was, and who is to come. God the Father is the eternally present God. Lock that into your hearts and thinking this morning. That God is who he is. You know, the Bible says in Exodus, when Moses was at the burning bush, And Moses asked the question, he said, okay, what if people ask me who you are that sent me? What did God tell Moses, do you remember? I am am who I am, right? I want us to recognize that God says, I'm not just an idea who was, I'm not just a hope who will be, but I am that God who is who I am. In other words, he is eternally present with us. There is a way of thinking that says God is, is timeless. God is beyond space and time. He is so far distant. There is this huge gap between us and him. And while there is a gap that's a result of sin, it's not the result of God being timeless. The Bible says that he is and who was and who is to come. In other words, God is eternally present. This is the God who is eternally with us. Please, friends, no matter what your circumstance, no matter what your trial and tribulation today, recognize that God is eternally with you. He is eternally with you. What else? This grace and peace comes from the one who is eternally with us. And then later on in verse 5 it says, excuse me, verse 4, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Seven, a number of completion. In in other words, it's, it's indicating the complete and sufficient ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Friend, the Holy Spirit is the gift beyond all gifts. The Holy Spirit is the one who will satisfy all of your needs. And in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, by the way, so faithful, that as he witnessed to the truth, he went to the cross. When it says he's the faithful witness, it's an indication of his faithfulness even to death. And then it says the firstborn from the dead, that even though he was dead, he resurrected. Amen. That this is the the risen Christ, and because of that, he is the ruler over the kings of the earth. Now, these first two blessings, a blessing to to those who hear, read, and keep, a blessing of grace and peace, it's found with three assurances, and here's the first assurance. The rest of verse 5, it says this, To him who loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Assurance number one, if you're taking notes today, assurance number one is the assurance of your past. The assurance of the past. In other words, the assurance that your past has been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You know your track record and so does God. But the Bible promises that we can wash our sins in the blood of the Lamb. I love it. It says here in verse 5, to him who loved us. The New King James has it, to him who loved us. Maybe your Bible says, to him who loves us. And actually, the, the Greek verb there has this continuous action in mind. God is constantly loving us, and it's based upon things he's done in the past. Specifically, those things that he has done in the past is, one, he has washed us from our sins. Or maybe your Bible says, has released us from our sins. Friend, your past does not have to hold you bound. Your past is something that the blood of Jesus has purchased you from. He has redeemed us. Some of us wonder at times, how can God love us if I've done this and I've done this? Well, how can he love you? The fact is, he he loves you because he's freed you from this and that. (laughs) He's set you free. And when it goes on and says, and he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Friends, this is language from the book of Exodus. This is language of slaves being set free who are now made a kingdom of priests. You and I have been given an exodus. Do you know what the word exodus means? It means way out. (laughs) It means way out. You and I have been given a way out. What's interesting to me is that the verb here where it says has washed us or has released us, that's past tense. That's past tense, a a single point in time. In other words, there was a single point in time where Jesus set us free from the bonds of sin. At what point in time did Jesus purchase that through his blood? The cross, the cross. And I don't know if I'm the only one in this room, but there are times where I do not feel free and released from my sin. Has anybody ever been there, done that? But here's the radical reality, that Jesus says, I have already released you. And when we feel as though we're not free, could it be that we are standing in the midst of broken shackles? And we just not have walked the exodus. Jesus has given us a way out, a freedom from our past, and that's blessed assurance numero uno. That's number one for those of us that didn't understand. Blessed assurance number one is that we have assurance from our past that Jesus has purchased us. He has broken those shackles and we have an exodus. We have a way out. Amen. All right, blessed assurance number two, beginning in verse seven, it says this, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Now, instead of speaking past tense, we're given a glimpse of the future. Behold, He is coming with clouds and every eye will see Him. So while blessed assurance number one is that we have an assurance from our past, now we have an assurance of our future. Okay? Blessed assurance number two, assurance of the future, assurance of our ultimate destiny. It's a hope of Jesus' return. Now I love this because it says, "Behold, He is coming with what? With clouds." And I don't know what images come to your mind or what kind of significance. I, maybe your imagination just starts to try to, to draw out what shape those clouds would be. Maybe it's in the shape of a of an F-150, or maybe it's in the shape of a of a Ford Mustang, or or what? No. The, here's the thing: when the Bible says that He's coming with clouds, he's, it's not trying to draw uh, like a a chariot for us, it's actually drawing a connection to an Old Testament phrase where there is one who comes with clouds. Does anybody know who that is and where that is? It's in Daniel chapter 7, and I believe it's verse 9. In Daniel chapter, is it verse 13? Thank you. It's in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, where it says, one like the Son of Man came to the ancient of days, and the picture there is that he came with the clouds. In other words, this is a picture of judgment where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days. The Son of Man actually receives the kingdom and dominion. So when it says that he is coming with clouds, it's not just saying that Jesus is going to come for a nice afternoon visit. He's going to come with his kingdom to give us. There's a difference. Are we seeing the difference? Yes or no, yeah? And so here, it's a picture of Jesus' return. It's a picture of Jesus as king. And our ultimate destiny is assured. So we have two assurances so far. An assurance of the past, an assurance of the future, but the question that we often ask is, what about the assurance of the present? In verse 7, excuse me, verse 8, it goes on. The Bible says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, and who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. The past and the future are secured, he says. I am the Alpha, past. I am the Omega, future. I've got the bookends taken care of, but what about everything in between? You know, there's a Hebrew concept that uh, whenever... There is a description of bookends, for example, in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew concept is that when you identify these bookends, that everything else in between is automatically assumed. And so when God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, guess what else he's the creator of? Everything in between. When Jesus says, "I am the beginning and the end," guess what else he is? God over Everything in between. Friends, we must recognize that it's not just that God gives us an assurance of the past or just that he gives us an assurance of the future. Our Savior is so powerful that he wants to give us an assurance of the present. And the assurance of the present is the assurance of Jesus' presence. You can write it down if you need to. The assurance of the present is is the assurance of Jesus' presence. And here is where the vision begins in Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. John says, look, I know what you're going through. I'm a partaker in that trouble. I've, I've been through that tribulation. I've been there. I've done that. But the greatest assurance is not just that John has been there and done that but that Jesus has been there and done that, okay? And that's what Jesus gives to John. In verse 10, it says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and now the names of these churches are given, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamus, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And John, as he is in the Spirit, friends, by the way, if you ever feel like you're, you're kicked off on the island of Patmos, <laughs> if you ever feel like your trouble and your tribulations has kind of knocked you off the radar screen of God's, you know, divine perspective, recognize that, that God is near, <laughs> that God is with you, that this man, though he was cut off from every human connection, he was in the Spirit. Friends, We may not have the companionship of earthly friends, but we can always have the companionship of our heavenly friend. And he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he hears this voice, and he hears these instructions, write it down, write it down. And as John looks, as John looks, I imagine he looks back with eager anticipation. I imagine he looks back, hey, this this voice sounds familiar. (laughs) Remember, this is John, the beloved disciple, who spent three and a half years walking and talking with Jesus, seeing him do this, seeing him do that, And then in those closing hours, seeing him, though he was the king, not treated as such. And if you have that visual in your mind, if you just imagine John, knowing the the, the pain and the suffering that Jesus went through, John actually stood at the foot of the cross. He saw, he heard him call out, it is finished. Now John looks back and he sees a completely different picture of Jesus. And what is this picture? Verse 12, the Bible says, then I turned... To see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven what? Seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And there's that title, by the way, that comes from the book of Daniel, chapter seven. So here, John turns around, and the first thing he sees, he doesn't first see the person of Jesus, first, he sees the location of Jesus. And where exactly is the location of Jesus according to verse 12? Having turned, I saw seven what? Golden lampstands. So the location of Jesus, he is standing in the midst of the seven lampstands. By the way, if you're looking for an understanding, what are these lampstands a symbol of? In verse 20, go ahead and take a look. We're just going to skip ahead a little bit. Verse 20, it says this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, or some would say messengers or leaders, of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are what? The seven churches. So here, as John is looking to see this familiar voice, he turns, and first he doesn't see the person of Jesus. He sees the location of Jesus, which is, according to verse 12 and 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands. And those lampstands are really who? The churches. The location of Jesus is not far distant from where you and I are. Amen. In fact, he is the God who is in our midst. Amen. You may feel like trouble and tribulation stand, upon, stand around you like mountains, but friends, there are more with us than there are with them. <laughs> he sees Jesus in the midst. And, and, and I guess if we wanted to be even more specific, if we're looking at Jesus in the midst of the seven lampstands, we're really seeing Jesus in the midst of the heavenly sanctuary. We're seeing Jesus as he is ministering in the presence of God and in the presence of humanity. And in verse 13, it says, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now notice this. He is clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Verse 15. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand the seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. And here now, John describes the very appearance of his best friend. No longer, um, uh, no longer bleeding, no longer wounded, but now he is this glorious, glorious being. And according to verse 13, it says that he is clothed with the garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. This is really interesting to me because John actually spends a lot of time describing the appearance of Jesus. Now, appearances can communicate a lot. Wouldn't you agree? Appearances can communicate a lot. For example, if you see someone with, with, uh, with scrubs, And a white coat and maybe a stethoscope around their neck. What would you assume about this individual? Yeah, they can probably take care of you physically, right? (laughs) Someone who's a health professional, someone who has medical expertise. Now, what if you saw someone and their appearance was dark coveralls with oil stains around their their knees and some greasy hands? What would you assume about how they can serve you or help you? Yeah, yeah oh man, that screeching noise in my car right now, I don't know if it's the AC or just, can you help me out? Okay, so appearances can communicate a lot. If you saw someone with a heavy-duty, yellow uh, overcoat with some reflective things around his, his cuffs and a red, shiny helmet, you might assume that he could help you out of an emergency, right? Now, if you saw an individual like the Son of Man clothed in a white garment, girded about his chest. These are descriptions of a priest. These are descriptions of a high priest. Not of a fireman, not of a mechanic, not of a doctor, but these are the descriptions of a priest. Now, do we understand, just as clearly as we understand, someone who in the medical field can help us physically, someone uh, who, who's good with his hands can help us mechanically, someone who's, who, who's got the equipment can help us in an emergency. Do we understand someone who is a high priest, what they can do for us? Do we understand that today? We might say so, but let's think about this just a little bit before we close today. If Jesus is our high priest, why would Jesus spend so much time here? This church, or these these area churches in Asia, these seven churches are going through so much, and they need a revelation of Jesus. And I'm sure Jesus could pull out of his pocket several different revelations. He could pull out of his pocket a a revelation of a a king riding on a victorious white horse. And that'll come in Revelation chapter 19, right? He can pull out different revelations of of this and of that, but first he chooses to reveal himself as a high priest. And what kind of assurance would that give a church who is struggling? He's giving them the assurance that he is the one who will make sure that their flames will not flicker out. He's giving them the assurance that there is someone who is actually watching right over their lampstand. They may not feel it, but the Bible, if I read the Bible right, we walk not by sight, but by faith, right? We, we don't walk by feeling. Christianity isn't about, I do this because I feel it. I do it because I believe it. Yes. Amen. And here Jesus is giving the assurance, look, I am the high priest. I am the one who is and who was and who is to come and who is constantly with you. The first revelation that Jesus chooses and pulls out of his pocket is is that revelation of a high priest. He is in the midst of the lampstands. The location, he's with us. He's near us. He's not in some corner of the universe wondering what he should do way over there. No, he is in our midst. The function, he is ministering to us as a high priest. And so when I look to a high priest, what kind of assurance is that? What kind of assurance is that? I want us to go just a few verses in the book of Hebrews. So keep a bookmark here in Revelation chapter 1. And Hebrews, we're just going to Hebrews chapter 4 and Hebrews chapter 7. If you're taking notes, it's Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. So just a few pages to the left And I want us to understand what it is that when we look to Jesus as the high priest, how do we understand him and his ministry there? In Hebrews chapter 4, if you found it, say, I found it. Okay? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. And there are many other passages in the book of Hebrews that we could look to. By the way, the book of Hebrews, if you ever want to understand more fully, the ministry of Jesus as our high priest, this is the place to go. Here we go, verse 14, chapter 4, verse 14, it says this, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. There's something about seeing Jesus as our high priest that empowers us to hold fast. There's something about seeing Jesus as our high priest that empowers us to keep hanging on. What is it? For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because we have a high priest, because we have a high priest who sympathizes with us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Maybe I'm just the only one, but when I feel like I'm going through difficult times, I feel like I've been kicked to the curb at times. Does that temptation ever run through your heart and mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But here's the point. Here's the point. When you are in those tough times, you're supposed to look and see. wait, I have a high priest, and I can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in time of need. That I am not separated from God because of my trials. No, but it's through those trials that God will draw me even closer to Him. Amen. He is our high priest. Verse Chapter 7, verse 25. A few, tra- few pages over. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. If you don't have this one memorized, I encourage you, memorize it today. <laughs> memorize it today. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. The Bible says, Therefore, He, speaking of Jesus, therefore he is also able to save somewhat. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so my Bible says this. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Just pause right there. The salvation of Jesus is sufficient. The salvation of Jesus is complete. He is able. He is able to save to the uttermost. Therefore, because he is our high priest, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Amen and amen. Do you know that Jesus lives today? (laughs) And let me say it like this. Do you know that he lives to make intercession for you? You ask yourself, what is Jesus occupied with? You know, what goes through his mind day after day, moment by moment? He is occupied with your salvation. The thing that runs through his mind that makes his heart beat fast is to pray for you and me. To make intercession for you and me. Now, there are some people that you feel so passionate about that you just pray hours and hours and hours on end for them. Maybe days upon days and weeks upon weeks. Friends, do you know that Jesus feels that infinitely more so for you and me? He ever lives to make intercession for you. That's what he lives for. That's what he lives for. So let him live for you. (laughs) All right, Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. So here is Jesus, he is our high priest. He has revealed himself, not just as the one who has power when we don't, but as the one who secures us to heaven when we feel far gone. John, on the island of Patmos, (laughs) I'm sure there were times where he wondered, what is God up to? (laughs) I'm sure if you were stuck on Alcatraz, right? If you were stuck there, you'd wonder, is God going to do something about this? And God gives him a revelation. I am in your midst. I will not let your flame flicker out. He is our high priest. And he says in verse 17, you're there in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, the Bible says, and when I saw him, this is John's response, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Have we heard this before? (laughs) You kind of get an idea. By the way, you know, the Bible writers didn't have things that we do with our word processors. They they didn't have the option to control B and make it bold, right? They didn't have the option to italicize or to underline. They they did this by repeating themselves. (laughs) First and the last, first and the last, first and the last. And verse 17 says, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Those are names and titles for the grave. Those realities that we seem so so struck by. They're inevitable, it seems. And when they come, we have no idea what to do. But Jesus says, I have keys to that too. (laughs) I've conquered that too. You may feel as though this trial, this loss, this struggle is too great for you? Well, Jesus has not only been there and done that, he's been to worse and done that. (laughs) He has been through it all. He is the first and the last and everything in between. Do not be afraid, he says in verse 17. That's what uncertainty does to us, by the way. In the vacuum of answers, fear seeps in. In the vacuum of uncertainty, or excuse me, in the vacuum of certainties, uh, anxiety creeps in. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. That, that instruction is probably the most repeated command of Jesus. (laughs) Whether it's do not be afraid, fear not, do not fear, over and over throughout scriptures, from Abraham to Moses, David to Joshua, you know, and everyone in between. Everybody has had this struggle. The disciples themselves, do not be afraid, Jesus says. And so many times when he says that, he says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Could it be that the answer to our fears is the assurance of God's presence? That when we're the most anxious, And the most troubled, we wonder where God is, and all the while he's saying, I am right here with you. Why don't you write down a couple of promises, look them up this afternoon. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. Do not be afraid, God says, I am with you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. Memorize that one. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Isaiah 43, verse 1. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 9, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. We can be assured of his presence today. And so friends, we have the assurance of our past, that God has broken the shackles and has given us an exodus. And sometimes we just don't don't realize that it's up to us to walk away from it. He's given us an assurance of our ultimate destiny, our ultimate future. That he is coming soon, and he has also given us the assurance of the present, which is his presence. And so, friends, the question today is: Let's just take it a little bit personal. What is your patmos today? What are the tribulations that you and I face today? By the way, that word tribulation, when he says it in verse nine, John—excuse uh, me, Revelation one, verse nine—when he says that he is a particular in tribulation, tribulation. It's, uh, it has this idea of being. Pressurized and compressed or even oppressed. It has the idea of being hemmed in as though, there's, as though there's no way of escape. So friend, what's your island? What's your Patmos? What's your tribulation that you feel pressed by today? Maybe you're thinking of a specific situation or a circumstance, a perpetual prayer that you've been lifting up to God, and today he wants you to hear. Let him who has ears, let him hear. Blessed assurance. Friend, we have a high priest that is bigger than that struggle. You're thinking of that uncertainty, that check, where is that coming from? That answer, where am I going to find it? That freedom, how am I going to experience it? Friend, we have a high priest who has been there and done that. (laughs) You can come boldly to the throne of grace and find help in your time of need today today. Do you believe that, friends? I don't know what Patmos you're on today, but know that he has given you an assurance of the past, of the future, and of his presence in the present. (laughs) Let's bow our heads together for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that in all of these things your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, we want to be honest today and just recognize that there are times where we don't feel that. There may be times this coming week where we will not feel that, but we pray for the faith to know that anyway. God, there are some islands that we're on today where we feel separated from all earthly ties, and I pray that you would give us the strength to see Jesus in the heavenly sanctuary, that we would come boldly still to the throne of grace. Father, there are some who are experiencing loss, There are some who are experiencing confusion. There are some who are experiencing pain, being victimized by this or that. And Father, for all the healing and help and answers that we seek, may we find in you that you are the God who was, who is, and who is to come. May we sense that you are the God who is eternally with us. And Lord, I pray that we as a church family would be faithful brothers and sisters to demonstrate that you are with us in the flesh, that we would be the presence of Jesus to each other. Lord, teach us how to minister to one another. And in this coming week, when we find problems that are big and we find ourselves tugging on your ear because our problems are so big, Father, I pray that you would give us the faith to tell our problems how big our God is. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that you are sufficient. In Jesus' saving name, let everyone say, amen. Amen. Hmm.